Welcome to Fate's Wide Wheel, a Quantum Leap podcast with Sam and Dennis. We are coming to you from our top secret headquarters at Project Quantum Leap, but you can find us online at fwwquantumleappod.com or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Fate's Wide Wheel. And please do us a favor by hitting the subscribe button on iTunes. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Fate's Wide Wheel. Uh, We're here this week to discuss Her Charm, which was directed by Christopher T. Welch. It's the first of four Quantum Leap episodes that he would direct. Uh, Our credited writers for the teleplay are Deborah Pratt and Donald P. Belisario himself. The story, however, was written by uh, Deborah Pratt, Donald P. Belisario, Paul Bellew, and Robert Wolsterorf. There were a lot. A lot the of cooks credit in the with kitchen. the the on screen the on screen credit when it pops up for this episode like it just takes up the entire yeah. screen. Yeah, it's hello uh, everybody. This is Dennis, <laughs> by the way. Uh, no, no cold open this, uh-huh. this time around. We're just jumping right in. Yeah, uh, our episode aired on February the seventh, nineteen ninety. Our leap date is September twenty sixth, nineteen seventy three. Sam has leapt into Peter Langley, and we are in Boston, Massachusetts. Yeah, TV Guide. Sam, Scott Bakula, leaps into an FBI agent assigned to protect a feisty but fearful woman, played by Terry Austin, from the murderous crook she used to work for. Feisty but fearful. Good job of alliteration there, TV guy. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. And, of course, she's a redhead as well. I'm surprised they didn't mention that. So, mm-hmm. you know. And, and, and we jump right in. We do. Uh, Sam's standing at the door. Ringing the doorbell. Uh, and... Um, you know, it's interesting thinking about this episode, too, uh, sort of in the context of when it initially aired, uh, because it the, the episode preceding it, uh, All-Americans, had uh, left into a rerun. So in watching this on the Blu-rays in order, I did not get to see the, the actual leap in out of the previous episode. Mm-hmm. Um, so it would be interesting to know what differences were there that existed, uh, because, again, I didn't get to see that. Yes. And we talk about them sometimes, about how there's little differences in the lead. Yeah, but I wonder if, if there, in cases like this, there is no alternate because, yeah, there would be no alternate because we, we never, see, an episode doesn't end with them showing that. We just right. have this one version. Although, like we talked about, too, before in syndication on USA, you got they, to they might that fix it, it yeah. yeah, that there might have been something. I don't know. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm sure, I assume, it, like, in those cases, they would either... As as it originally is, or they would like you know, like I said, like 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 a real quick shortcut. But right. Be interesting to see. I don't. I mean, regardless, we're clearly shit hosts because we don't have the answer. So yes, yes, <laughs> we just pack up shop right now. Yeah, um, yeah. The one thing I did find interesting about this is that almost immediately upon leaping in, and and after he pulls his thing from the. Uh, his finger back from the doorbell and Danny yells or something. Sam instantly has a voiceover. He says, my first guess is I'm not here for a date. And it makes me <clears throat> wonder when they filmed this episode, mm. if they were still planning the, um, uh, Sam narrating the beginning of the episodes. Oh, because typically sure. upon leaping in, like he would narrate like clips from the previous episode, and then immediately upon leaping in, he would say like one or two lines that kind of right. brought us into this episode. They settled on the saga cell, yeah. yeah. And so I wonder, like when they filmed this, like that voiceover, like they hadn't quite settled in on the saga cell, and that and this was a hangover from from that. Yeah, that's a really good point. And and another thing that's interesting about this episode in the context of sort of what has come before, uh, we were talking about this briefly. It feels 
a lot like some of the genre episodes that we mm-hmm. got throughout the first season. I, I certainly would say that this feels much more like Quantum Leap, you know, comparing it to an episode like, say, Double Identity, which is fine. It's a charming episode. You, you know, I think we ranked it fairly high in our season one, you know. But mm-hmm. that said, uh, it doesn't necessarily always feel like Quantum Leap. didn't necessarily always feel like Sam. Whereas this episode, I, I think, does feel like Quantum Leap. It does feel like Sam. It feel, you know, it feels like they're really kind of into the groove of the show. Uh, so even though they're playing in this sort of genre uh, of, you know, um, uh, Witness pretend. What am I looking for? There's something better, but I don't know. Mm-hmm. I've got nothing right now. I don't, yeah, it's uh, Sunday afternoon. I don't know so much genre. It's just like I feel like, uh, you know, we talked about you know like episodes like Blind Faith previous episode. It's like a very much like episode of the week. We do yeah. get we do get a little mythology later we on do, in the episode yeah. of of Sam's backstory in particular, but but yeah. Yeah, it, it's. I think that you know, it, it ends up being oddly enough, it ends up being a fairly successful episode, uh, and I and I think that maybe the point I'm trying to make is that in spite of it being that sort of episode of the week thing, um, it just it it feels right for Quantum Leap mm-hmm. as opposed to feeling like it could be anything or it's, they're taking off of some popular film or, or whatever. Sure, sure, uh, you know. But uh, yeah, so Sam. Um, you know, is is immediately met uh, at the door by Dana Berenger, and uh, she's she's clearly not, not happy. Not happy to see him. <laughs> like like, oh no, not you. And and definitely so not a date. <laughs> yeah, so that yeah, definitely not a date. So uh, we move on pretty quickly. You know, did you bring the car? Sam doesn't know. Yeah, and Dana yeah. has to like look out the door. Yeah, you are, yeah she like, has yeah. to like spoon. Yes, let's let's get out to the car. Let's get the car started. And this episode does a really good job, I think, of of, of giving us sort of fish out of water, Sam. I I, I, th- I think that there have been some episodes uh, recently where it's just sort of like he's he's firing on all cylinders. He's like, I know what I'm doing. I'm here. I've got the mission. You know, all Americans, obviously, with the football element, it's like ah, I sure. Right. But this episode does a really good job of like he doesn't know anything about anything right now. He doesn't know what year it is. He doesn't know where he is. He doesn't know who these people are. He doesn't know where the car is. He and 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 I feel like that plays out on screen very well. For sure. Yeah. He doesn't catch on so quickly as yeah. other episodes. But yeah, they get out to the car. Let's start the car. I don't seem to have the keys. Last time they were under the seat. Then we have this awkward, you know, physical comedy moment of, of him, you know, trying to duck under. Yep. Uh, and that's when we get the first slow-mo shot of the episode. And just because I have seen this episode several times, this didn't jump out at me, but Betsy, my wife, was watching this episode with me, and she commented on the number of slow mo sequences yeah. that there are in this episode. She's like, "What is going really on?" Like their slow mo, yeah. And so, yeah, uh, we are introduced to a character we don't know yet, but we'll come to know him as Nikki later on. Talk yeah, bye. He's got that that Uzi, and just starts Uzi. That's what. Yeah, I couldn't think of the the right word. Spraying the yeah. So, first of all, that's a hell of a lot of glass. Yes. <laughs> like, that's more glass than would take for those with it. Like, it's, it's a comical amount of glass that gets poured onto... That is just raining. You know, yeah. the actors uh, uh, as, as these shots are going off. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also, you know, it's, I, I think it's just worth saying right up front that this ends up being a very violent episode. It is. Um... And I think that, you know, sure, we could say, oh, it's an action-packed, thrilling hour of TV. 
but it's it's violent. Yeah, you know? I think especially now where we are at right now with gun violence in this country right now. Yeah, it it really sticks out. It is really jarring. Like yes. we, we we've been talking off mic. Uh, our friend Scotty, who is going to guest on next week's episode, Freedom, uh, we're recording this episode in Freedom on the same day. I had actually gone to start texting uh, Scotty, who has never seen Quantum Leap before. Uh, text was like, hey, would you be interested in guessing on this episode? And then I stopped my text when I remembered how violent this episode yeah. starts off. Yeah, you know, and I, I will say real quick, it would have been very interesting, I think, to have a, a woman's point of view at this episode, mm-hmm. uh, uh, since, you know, Dana actually is, you know, is, is clearly a huge part of it. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I yeah, it, it's just us, it's just us today. Sure. Um, and, and I think that that with good reason, um, like you say, it's, 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 we could talk, um, for hours and, and probably get nowhere, uh, sure. with, with our thoughts and feelings about gun violence, uh, and certainly where it is in the American consciousness right now today. Um, clearly in 1990, it was thought of in a very different fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, but they also hadn't, they didn't have a history of mass shootings over the past 20 years that we have yeah. in 1990. Yeah. And, uh, I think that seeing in the context of 1990, you would, you would just look at it as like, Oh, the bad guys are out to get them. And now I think in 2018 eyes, we see that and, and it is, it provokes a much more visceral response. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been watching um, the uh, Unsolved on USA about the the murders of Tupac and Biggie, and um, there are a couple of scenes within the first two episodes, because the first two episodes basically cover the actual murders, um, and, and they also show a couple of other shootings that occurred, and, and yeah, it's, it's, so, it's so different even the way that those are shot, um, and it, 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 whereas this just kind of feels like it's the most natural thing in the world to show somebody peppering a car with a, with a fully automatic weapon, uh, in, in unsolved, it's much more deliberate. Like, yes, you are seeing someone pull a gun and fire eight rounds into another human being. And that's an awful thing. And you Mm -hmm. see the reactions afterwards and you see, you know, and so I think again, it's certainly a different time and that doesn't necessarily negate or, or make a difference in, in the actual act or, or, or the, the cost of the act. Uh, but you know, I guess we had a different perspective. Maybe Hollywood had a different perspective. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, when I was a kid, uh, I, I just figured at some point in my life, I was going to own a gun. Yeah. I was going to fire a gun. Yeah. I had toy guns when I was a kid. Absolutely. And I'm sure they're still very common. I, I don't know. Like, we'll find out. Because my, my son is 13 months old right now. And it crossed my mind the other day. It's like, there's always a phase like where you start, you know, like you play, you, know, you play cops and robbers, and like that, that yeah. was like that was like a toy, just like like you know a handgun, the handcuff, and the badge or whatever. It's like I don't think I wanna uh, let my son have those toys. Well, it's interesting because um, you know my wife and I we found out a couple weeks ago we're gonna have a girl, um, and I'm I'm very much of a mind that she can do whatever the hell she wants. Like, you know, I'm not going to, she doesn't have to be a pretty princess if she wants to, you know, watch wrestling and drink beer when she's 21. Uh, that's totally fine. But, uh, uh, not that that's a, a manly thing that you can only be a man to do those things. But I just think that obviously that's the stereotype. So I'm not, I'm not trying to give in any sort of, 
um, you know, gender stereotype with her. And, and, and so I was thinking about G.I. Joes in particular because I loved G.I. Joes when I was a kid. And I collected G.I. Joes and I had a ton of G.I. Joes. Um, and, and I, I, to this day, like I still, you know, collect like some action figures here and there. And, um, one thing that I've not been able to do is like buy any new GI Joes or display any of my old GI Joes because it's ingrained in me. It's like, you know, here are these, these people with guns and it's like, you know, terrorist organization in the military. And it's, and, and again, not that you can't enjoy GI Joe. Hell, I still own the GI Joe movie on DVD, you know? Um, and, and, and I think that there's an interesting discussion that could probably take place about the fact that I like Transformers and I have a few Transformers that I've purchased, you know, even in the past year or so. At the end of the day, really just as violent as G.I. Joe. But they're big robots and they're and lasers. lasers. So yeah. it's a little different, so, I guess. Yeah. It's just, I guess it's the immediacy of the idea of somebody like, you know, with a, with a G.I. Joe, even the little three and three quarter inch figures, like those guns were designed to look like real guns. Hmm. And, and there's just something about that that, I don't know. It's 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 sticky, and I guess I haven't even fully been able to digest what that means to me, uh, which has made it all the more interesting to think about it in the context of having a child. And it's like, will she, you know, will she go through a phase where she wants, you know, to see that or do that, or would that be something that interests her? Mm-hmm. I don't know. And then yeah. there's Star Wars. It's like I'm fine with Star Wars, but hey, that's violent too. Damn it, it is. I mean. Lightsabers are brutal. Lightsabers. I mean, the fight and the lava and the volcano. Yeah. Why did you have to reference, like, literally the worst of the movies? Because <laughs> I was... <laughs> I, it was the first thing that popped no, in my... That I, is a very violent scene. Like, it is a very violent scene, yes. Darth Vader gets his shit messed up. I've been watching Clone Wars recently, actually. Mm-hmm. And this is a cartoon that aired on Cartoon Network. Uh, and, and I think that all the producers, everyone involved with that show, would say, this is not... We're not making this for kids. They were aware that kids would be watching it. But I was watching a scene recently, and, and like, um, Ahsoka ends up killing this guy, and as he drops down to the ground, because they're up in a tree when it happens, as he drops down to the ground, like, he kind of, like, spasms and, like, kind of croaks as he dies, and I'm just like, oh, shit, that's brutal. And Anakin, at one point, like, just stabs, like, two characters, runs them through with his lightsaber, and you don't see, like, you don't literally see it. It's more implied, but you see the hole in one of their backs, as they fall to the ground, mm. so it's—I it, mean, it is—it is brutal. So I don't want to sound—I don't want to sound hypocritical in our treatment of this violence and just say it's only gun violence. I mean, violence is, is an issue regardless. Mm. I just think that as of right now, where we are, that seeing a gun specifically and bullets and thinking about what those do. There was a brilliant article in the Atlantic recently from an emergency room doctor who was actually, you know, in Florida, and 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 her, you know, view of like saying like this is what happens literally to the human body when, when, you know, these things enter them. And it was, it was, it was a hard article to read, but I guess because of the immediacy of that and the reality of that, that's what makes it difficult as opposed to trying to say like, Oh, violence in star Wars is okay. I'm not saying that necessarily. I'm just saying that this is so immediate and visceral right here, right now that it's hard to separate that from where we are. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) So quantum leap. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, getting getting sprayed with bullets. Mm-hmm. An, uh, yeah, inordinate amount of, of glass, glass yeah. raining down on <laughs> a certain amount of glass. Yes, and uh, so we have this light, like you know, you know, what do we do? 
and, and Sam says, I can't remember what exactly the line is, but Dana, but like, yeah, don't, you know, don't ask me. You're the FBI agent. Right. Ah, boy. Oh boy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it's, you know, it's great too, because, uh, what I was talking about earlier was Sam being sort of the fish out of water and seeing his confusion was really nice. That said, once he kind of gets that information and he, and he, you know, it clicks and immediately jumps into action, which is also kind of cool to see, uh-huh. you know, he, he, he starts the car, he throws it in reverse. He, he runs right into the other yeah. car. Well, yeah. Takes off. I will say, yeah, cause we go to opening credits mm-hmm. and then we come back actually before we, we, we see that, we see things more from, from Nikki's point of view, yeah. yeah, he's getting out, and we got that slow mo thing going on, and he's going out like he assumes that that he he has killed them both, and that's when we see from from his perspective the car coming into action. Yeah, mode. Sam has jumped in action mode, backs and in, backs into their car, ends up jamming the wheel, and then speeds off. Yeah, uh, and immediately like Nikki comes off as sort of the mad dog mobster. You know that that we have seen, yeah, many times before and many times since. Quite frankly, um, there's he's taking joy in this. There's a, there's a certain sadistic quality to the fact that like, and we'll see it again later. Where at this point he doesn't really care whether or not they're dead or alive. He wants to get closer to them. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and even after they take off, he's all about like, let's go, let's get them. Uh, and, and then of course his wheelman is like, I can't, this, you know, steering is, 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 isn't working. And Nikki gets out, fixes the car real quick. And then all these people have come out. Cause we should admit we're, we're we should say we're, we're in a residential, residential neighborhood. Yeah. yeah. It's all these people come out and Nikki immediately is just like threatening him with the gun. Go back like, inside. He fires some off in the air. And then as they're driving away, I can't remember, uh, Andy, we were talking about this yeah. off mic beforehand. I, we, I don't know. I don't they, know they, they don't say his name like very often it, in there. Right? Yeah. But Andy says some line like, like, like you, know, you, you know, you can't do this to people. I can't remember what exactly the line is. And Nikki has a line like, oh, no, I can't. And he just fires off a string of bullets. Like, he just fires off, like, through, like two or three houses in their See, front windows right there. And to me, it's like talking about, like, watching this episode previously, that, you know, it's a violent scene, but it never really jumped out. But now, like, watching just, like, that moment of just spraying some houses with some bullets indiscriminately. You know, I have to say that I maybe I thought, and maybe it was my brain's way of trying to deal with that very same feeling that he was firing back into Dana's house. I didn't, you know what I mean? Like, sure. I wasn't, I, cause it is a little muddy. It's not clear that he's firing into like different houses. Mm-hmm. It's just that he picks a house. Now I think that because they're driving away, like clearly he's not just going to hit one house, but it's not like you don't see the bullets hit more than one house. You only see the bullets actually crash through one specific house. Sure. And so it's like, in my mind, it's like, Oh, he's just, shooting up her house. But now that you're saying that, it's just sort of like, oh, shit, no, probably because, firing because, into multiple homes. Yeah, because the, the dialogue around that, like Andy is chat, chastising him for like, you, you know, these people are just like living their lives. Of course they're going to be curious, you know, gunshots firing off and then like Nikki just like, right. well, I'll show them and just fires off some more bullets. Into- and I mean, clearly, I mean, even living in Chicago, I, I mean, how many times do we hear about an instance where somebody has, you know, fired off into a couple of houses and someone 
you know, who had nothing to do with that. I mean, not that anybody deserves to be shot, but somebody that was not targeted is, sure. you know, ends up being shot and, and killed in a lot of instances. Um, so, yeah, seeing that is just... It's jarring. And it just occurred to me, uh, <clears throat> a friend of mine, she actually lives in southern Indiana. Mm-hmm. Uh, a f- I want to say this was two or three months ago. She lives in a two-story house. I can't remember how she discovered it. Uh, she does not live in the greatest neighborhoods. Uh, her and her husband have three kids, and uh, one day she was walking through her house and through her room and discovered a bullet hole in the wall that had not been there before, and at, at some point in in the past, um, from, from the next door, a gun had gone off, mm. and it, it had gone through their home. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So, so yeah, with, with those Chicago things in mind, either, yeah. You know, no, no, yeah, yeah, absolutely, but, yeah. Yeah. It is, it's it's so difficult to separate that, and I think that it's not, I'm not trying to say that I can't watch this episode anymore because it makes me think these things. I'm just saying that it's difficult to separate that when watching this episode and trying to enjoy the episode, and and, and I, will, I will say that it's mostly just the opening scene, in spite of the violence that occurs throughout the episode, it's mostly just the opening scene that does that, and I think it has to do with the fact that we are in a residential neighborhood. Yep. We are, you know what I mean, it does seem so indiscriminate, it seems so loud, it's visceral, it's, you know, and, 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 I, and I think that maybe that's the reason why it's a difficult thing to kind of get past. Mm-hmm. But get past it, we do. Yes. And, uh, and so now we are in the car, which has no no windshield, nothing. No, yeah. 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 Um, and so already Sam and Dana have an antagonistic relationship yes. with each other. We should know we've already got a couple of mirror shots. Oh, uh, right. So far, this, the, the side view mirror as, as they get into the vehicle... Because she and she gives him a lot of time, yeah, gives him a lot of time yeah. for like for like admiring himself, um, and as we're driving here, we don't get a mirror shot. We do get a shot of like we see Sam like look in the rearview mirror, like looking behind him, and we don't actually see the mirror shot. But yeah, he's, yeah. he's like looking at himself again. Also, like surveying the damage because he's got some blood on him. From, yes, they've from, got some cuts from the glass, yeah. and she's got. Um, so he wants to take her to the hospital. Right. She wants to go to FBI headquarters because she wants to be reassigned. And then when Sam says you need to get checked out, you're bleeding, she notices the blood, she passes out, and now we are at FBI headquarters. Yes. Um, and we get, you know, we uh, we get a kind of a nice, uh, Al shows up pretty quickly. Sure. Um, which is not always the case. And, and gives a really, and this is a testament to Dean Stockwell as, you know, in addition to everything else, but gives a really solid, like, just info dump, like, really sets up everything sure in you know in just a you know big little chunk of dialogue there to Sam mm-hmm. and uh, we know now that he's protecting Dana because she had worked for this mobster who tried to shoot everything up and that uh, that she was going to die apparently uh, that morning and, and now she's going to die later that afternoon and mm-hmm. um, and something that happens throughout the episode is we get updates on well she didn't die now but she's still going to die like she's mm-hmm. always like there's never a time when she's not going to die apparently. for sure and I think this is the first time in the series where, where we get this idea of like you change history now this happens yeah now now this this is the thing that we're running from yes we get past that deadline now this is the thing that we're running from 
And it's interesting because there are other times throughout the series where it's not necessarily life or death, but there are moments where Al will say like, oh, that doesn't happen anymore, but this happens now, or, you know, and it does, it, it, it starts you thinking about all those things that we've spoken about throughout the past, you know, 20 or so episodes about, well, when he did this, did that change this? Does that, you know, what else does he change when he leaves and that sort of thing? Mm-hmm. And, you know, we'll start to see, I think, a little bit more explicitly discussed that there are, that, that he is changing things, you yeah. know, just by being there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So we should say uh, Sam has leaped into Peter Langley. Yes. FBI agent. And I'm not sure when exactly all this information gets thrown out, uh, but Dana is in the witness protection program. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll brought all this in. It is interesting to note at, uh, at this point in 1973, the witness protection program was only in existence for two years at this point. So relatively new. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we also get an interesting moment here too, where, uh, Al brings up Nick's name and this is a moment where I could not help but think, is Sam remembering this? Or is Sam have, does he have some of Peter's memories because of the Swiss cheesing effect? Because he immediately is like, you know, oh, Nick, blah, 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 shipping yard, etc. Oh, like, no, 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 no. Here, here's why. Uh, because that jumped out at me, too. Mm-hmm. And it took me, because in this universe, Nicky was actually a, he came to be, people knew who he was. Right. He, he was like John Gotti. Sure. And so this is like, it, even in Sam's Swiss cheese memory, he remembers the original history and he remembers when Nikki was was killed yeah, in the he, original history. But he doesn't. Al's the one that has to tell him that, that, that he was killed. Doesn't he? Doesn't Al, Al, Al actually says like, you know. Well, no, no, no. Uh, no, I think what it says is like, Sam's like, like, no, but he was killed then. And Al says, no, that doesn't happen for another three years, though. Mm. In the meantime... There's this. Right, 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 right. So I think that that's that's where that's coming yeah. from. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. It was just the way he said it. The way that he initially said it, I was like, that's interesting. Because it never, because that's never happened before either. And so that was why maybe it jumped out to me. Um, uh, I think this is, uh, if it's not the first time, I think it is one of the first times where we do establish that something that is not a part of our known history is a part of Sam's known history. Yeah. Like, like in the Quantum Leap universe... Nikki was a known mobster right. who came to a notorious end. Sure, sure, right. But it's not maybe because it's not necessarily like you said. It's not a you know a president or you know whatever some sort of event happening that it does feel foreign. And it's like how the hell does he know that? Mm-hmm. So yeah, that 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 could be. I don't know. It just made my brain go there to that spot. Itch of, of you know. It's like mm-hmm. oh, does he does he know stuff that Peter knows now or something? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Um, yeah, and uh, uh, so, yeah, we, we get the information, too, that, that they work together, uh, that, that Dana and Nick worked together, that she was his stenographer in, in Miami um, and uh, took a liking to her, made, made her his personal secretary. Um, but then she found out about the criminal activities and reported to the FBI. Um, apparently the jury found him not guilty, though. Uh, the guess is that the jury must have been paid off. Yeah. Yeah, and so now she's changed her identity, but he keeps finding her, and that now she's going to die in less than five hours if they don't do something about it. Absolutely. We also get introduced to Greg Richardson. Yes. Played by Stanley Brock. Uh, and, man, he's a shit, isn't he? He is. He's implying all sorts of things about Dana's relationship with Nick. Yeah. And, like, in, in a very just slimy sort of way. Yeah. And, 
Yeah. I will say I, I, do, I don't want to uh, yeah beat it over the head because there's a lot of things in this episode we could beat over the head. We want there is some stuff. It's like Dana's a shrew. She's a difficult woman. Mm-hmm. And, and this kind of stuff, like you know, you were you know like you. You, know, well, you worked with him for 27 months and you didn't you yeah, very close yeah. to him you, yes. you know, he liked you a lot it's like God, yeah. dude come on I mean yeah I mean that kind of stuff you could say is is that is that indicative of real life and how women well, treated yeah uh, absolutely yeah but but yes oh, you know and I will say though I honestly thought as I was watching the episode uh, I, I don't disagree for one second about how Dana is is, is Painted, but I will say that I think Terry Austin, the actor playing in it, does a really good job in providing different levels and dimensions sure. of, of, of the character, mm-hmm. which I appreciated. So she doesn't come off completely that way. Mm-hmm. I mean, clearly they've set up this very, you know, sort of like rom com, almost screwball comedy yes. kind of relationship between her and yeah. Peter, and that's one of the things that will kind of help, you know, drive the, the episode is that is the relationship between the two of them. Um, speaking of which, not to jump ahead too far, but soon after this, like we find out that Sam has got to drive her to Baltimore and yeah. that he's going to do it in a laundry van. At this point, Al gives him the information about how, uh, or, or no, excuse me, the the other special agent, um, Richardson, gives him this information about how they're the only two people that know about this. Nobody else could know about it, that they're going to be fine. And that's when we get the, you know, that moment with Al, uh, you know, kind of like screaming in Sam's ear, like, he's 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 a bad guy and he's going to turn on it. And, and, and it's great because we also get this moment with Nick and Andy where they're like, we've got somebody on the inside. I love how that gets thrown out there right away mm-hmm. because now the episode is no longer about like some sort of tension about who's going to find them, how are they going to find them, and that gives us some time to focus on the characters a little bit, sure. which is really nice because once they get in the laundry van, that's what we get. For sure, yeah. I mean, the line, uh, Richardson has a line, if there's a leak, it's either you mm-hmm. or me. Um, and it's set up in such a way that you think, yeah, it's going to end up being, yeah, Richardson's, it's, uh, yeah, Richardson's, a, Richardson's a rat. Yeah. You know? Uh, but before we do actually get into the laundry band, we get set up that they are in Boston, and Sam remembers that yes. he he lived there for a time because he went to MIT, and actually, that's uh, this is where uh, around the area where he and Professor Lenegro came up with the string theory for quantum leap, which is also interesting because he doesn't remember MIT; he remembers Boston. He's like, I used to live here. And Al is the one that has yes. to tell him, well, you went to college at MIT for four years. You finished four years in two years. years That's how yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. And so and it's just, that is kind of an interesting moment where it's just kind of like he doesn't remember going to MIT, but he remembers living in Boston. And then he remembers the cabin specifically. Sure. Which I think is kind of cool. Yeah. Well, it's also, I mean, when you think about it at this point, he has driven the streets of Boston j- just now, like getting from yeah. Dana's house to to there. So you wonder like how much of that was just kind of like... Right. Ingrained in and, you know. You do also in, have... In muscle memory before he remembered. Well, you also have to wonder, it's like, how did Sam find the FBI building? Like, <laughs> did he stop and like, I have to get gas? Like, <laughs> Yeah. And like, like, I'm going to look... The, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to look this up. I, did he pull out a road map? Did he, you know, did he just what? happen to like, you know... Just happen to know. Did right. Dana say like, what are you doing? Turn left here. I'm you know? sure it was probably, right? yeah, yeah, more along. Or she did pass out and faint, so it may... Pulled over and asked for directions or something. Because of course she did. Yeah. Uh, but uh, anyway, 
Real quick, I just want to say Terry Austin. Um, some people who are familiar with '80s television and soap operas in general might know her from Knots Landing. She played Jill Bennett on that for 96 episodes. She was also in nine episodes of Cop Rock. Did lots of '90s TV, and then um, there were nine episodes of Cop <laughs> Rock. <laughs> Apparently, there were. Uh, and she is not. Uh, she's not really done anything for the past like 16, 17 years, though. Um, her, her her resume on IMDb, anyways, kind of taps out at. 2001. So maybe she retired. Maybe she she retired. Maybe she's been doing a lot of theater. You know, who knows? And just went on with that. Yeah, yeah. This is a good time to note. Uh, speaking of the FBI and witness protection, mm-hmm. there was a made-for-TV movie in 1994 starring Scott Bakula and Roseanne <laughs> Arquette called Nowhere to Hide. I remember watching this. Do you know anything about this movie? Man, it sounds vaguely familiar, but I it was about it at all. Uh, a divorcee. She she finds out from the FBI from an FBI agent played by Scott Bakula that there was a mafia hit out on her that she has to go into hiding, and so he he takes her away. He takes her away from this uh, from this mafia hit that is supposedly being done on her, and of course, while on the run, they fall into a romantic relationship. Uh, I'm going to give a spoiler, because we're 24 years after the fact. Uh, The twist three-quarters of the way through is that Sam, uh, not Sam, uh, (laughs) Scott Bakula is not the FBI. He is in cahoots with the woman's husband, uh, getting her away to make her look like she has fled the family so that he can divorce her and get everything, and make her make her look like the bad guy. My goodness! Basically, that son of a bitch. Son of a bitch. <laughs> Kevin um, Nicholas. That's who he plays in that one. Okay. Right. Anyway, but they are now, every like we've we discussed this I think recently. But just like, what if anything and everything that Scott Bakula has ever done is just a leap? Like any like any TV show that he's been on, like it's just a leap. We just don't see how. Well, in that one, he's a bastard. Well, I'm just saying. No, yeah. That's, that's, that's the dumbest thing he's, I've said. That was uh, in a while. Th- 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 I feel like there was this one, and there was another TV movie where Scott Bakula, he was someone on death row. I think there was a short period after Quantum Leap ended where he was trying to do darker stuff. Like, he was... He Lord was illusions, you know, man. Lord, yeah, he was trying to prove that... Yeah. That, uh, that he wasn't the goody two-shoes. And then he did Net Force. <laughs> that was one I got like a half hour into, and I'm like, I love you, Scott Bakula, but I, but so I can't. The weird thing is, is I had read the novel, and I thought that the novel, which was not written by Tom Clancy, but of course had Tom Clancy's net force all over it, and so I was under the impression that the novel was going to be like the TV movie, but the characters' names are the same, and the setup is similar, and but then the rest of it is completely fucking different, mm-hmm. and I feel like that's something that happens when... Uh, like Jurassic Park Lost World is a perfect example. Michael Crichton was not going to write a sequel to Jurassic Park, but because the film was so successful, there was a lot of pressure. It's like, do it. We're going to make a sequel to the movie. You can write the book. It'll be great. He went off to write his book. They went off to write the movie. So the setup is similar, but then nothing about the two properties are the same after that. And it's because they, it, it's not based off of the other. They were written at the same time by completely different people. So the Net Force movie had that happen too. Mm. Anyway. But in this episode of Quantum yeah. Leap, so now, so yeah, Sam is going to take Dana to uh, the cabin, 
right. uh, out in the woods. Which, he, yeah, he's decided that independently of everything. Like, Dana doesn't know that. Yep. Nobody nobody knows that at all. Al, you know, Al's had some funny moments along the way to this because he feels like Sam's not listening to him. Sure, yeah. But, but it's like, of course Sam's listening to him. You know, he's trying to take everything in and decide on what the best plan is. Mm-hmm. And taking taking her to the cabin in the woods seems to be the best idea. Mm-hmm. Um, we get some, get some nice... Uh, like I said, we get some nice sort of character bits, uh, you know, in in the um, mm-hmm. laundry van. One thing that I want to point out real quick is I don't know if you noticed this or not. Did you notice that Nikki and Andy's car does not have a rear windshield in the scene bef- when they're outside? I the- did notice what that. What the fuck? I did notice that. It's not even the same car that they were driving when they tried to hit either. It's a completely different car. Yes. And I was like, what? What is? Did they just like? They go to like a junker and be like, "Hey, we need a different car. Can we use this?" What, car? Yeah, like what, what was it? It wasn't the car that. It wasn't the car that that Sam and Dana drove to the FBI. I thought in. that for a second, but no. Why the hell would they be in that car? I don't. I mean, like they were waiting for him to come back. I know, but yes, I did notice that 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 car was missing a windshield. Yeah. Unless is that supposed to be our first subtle tip off that there's something more than meets the eye here that they that they get the FBI guy's car I don't know it was weird it was very strange and I couldn't pinpoint it and I didn't find anything in Matt's book I didn't find anything on you know IMDb or anything about it so yes. it was very strange to me I'm like oh all right yes but I I did notice that. okay yeah so we are uh, heading up to the to the to the cabin in the woods I should say uh, this episode and uh, Freedom which we'll we'll cover next week both of these are. Very beautiful episodes. Yeah, as, as the scenery goes, and, and there's some really. Once we get inside the uh, cabin, too, there's some really nice cinematography that's done there. They mm. really use that cabin well. Mm. Which I'll go ahead and say this now: the cabin is not something foreign to the people working on this television show because it's the cabin from Airwolf that the lead character Stringfellow Hawk lived in, and Donald P. Belisario also produced that show. Mm-hmm. And so now here, the we cabin get, from we get Airwolf nice reuse. Makes another appearance use there. Yeah. Excellent. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so they're up there. Uh, Dana's taking a nap. She wakes up and wonders why Sam didn't wake her up mm-hmm. when he stopped for gas. He said, I didn't stop for gas. She starts freaking out like we have a half tank. You yep. see a close-up of the gas gauge. They are surely at a half tank. Yeah. That will come back to play. That will come back into play later on. Yes, it will. Now, <laughs> is it... Because uh, Nikki and Andy are about to catch up with them. or about to have an action sequence. Yeah, but... Yeah, my question is, and I, I'm a little foggy on this, honestly, is, 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 does she realize, she realizes before they get attacked that they're not going to Baltimore, right? Or is it after that? I can't remember. It's a little jumbled in my brain. Uh, to be honest, I cannot remember okay. at, at this point. Um, but yeah, she is going to realize that. Um and it's also about this time we have one... I think this is the last time we see Richardson in the episode, which is weird. We, we have one cutaway to, mm-hmm. to Richardson where we find out that... Uh, they're like, not at the they, safe like, house. Yeah, they're not at the safe house. Uh, Richardson did not know this. And then we cut away. We have a, a little bit of a close-up of Richardson. Like It's an ambiguous shot. Mm-hmm. Like Richardson is thinking something, and we don't know what he's thinking. Right. And again, we're kind of playing with the idea, who is the leak? Is it Richardson or is it Peter? Well, I think that like, I mean, look, if you're listening to this, you've already seen the episode. So let's just go ahead and unpack this right now. I think that the intention was never to 
put any sort of suspicion on Peter at all. Mm -hmm. I think the intention of the writers and the directors of the episode was to have you buy immediately that it's Richardson. Oh, yeah. Richardson's the slime ball. Yeah. They're out to get you. You know, Peter's a good guy. All the romantic stuff that gets built up between, you know, Dana and Peter in the laundry van is clear to to, to make you think, like, like, oh, they're probably going to end up together after Sam leaves out. All this sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think that when... When the first moment when we see the inside of the matchbook happens, I think that's the first time where you're just sort of like, what's that? Sure. Um, but, but I don't think it's until the reveal later. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think that the writers are like, are like trying to be like, give any hints. You know what I mean? Yeah, they're trying to like clearly lead you. Yeah, I think they're like trying that. to clearly say, that's the bad guy you gotta look out for. Mm. And then when they pull the switcheroo, yeah. you're supposed to be like, what? Sam's the bad guy? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. anyway, uh, so we do, we do have the, 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 the sequence where Nikki and Andy catch up. Yes. Uh, Dana throws the laundry bags right out out the back. There are a couple shots where like the car just flat out like drives over, right over, over the laundry. laundry. We're watching that. Betsy was like, "How like how does that car keep driving after that? Like driving over a big industrial bag of laundry is not." Insignificant, right? It's clear that there's not much in those bags. Well, there couldn't be much because she wouldn't be able to throw them that far. That's true. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, she's probably not. I, I mean, I'm not trying to say that she's a weak leader or anything, but I imagine if she's like sure. having to heft those out, she, she was throwing them pretty far as opposed to just dropping them out the back of the truck. Sure. Yeah. Um, but eventually, they do go off the side of the road and they yeah. crash the car. Uh, and they get away, and, and, and then you know we continue to get some nice character building moments between the two of them. Dana even apologizes for like, you know, being the way that she is. We do yeah. get this weird moment though, where like Sam does the to the moon thing. That, <laughs> yeah. Like, what? Yeah. Why yeah. is this happening? The, like the the like the bang zoom. Yeah. That, it just felt a little out of I don't know. I mean, it's one of those things, like, especially, like, today's modern sensibility. Right. Yes, that, that yeah. Because it's like, yeah, I just want to hit you, and that's that's comedy. Right, right. Yeah. And I, I mean, I get it, sure. We're trying to show that, that even Sam, who tends to be fairly magnanimous, is even at this point just, like, at his wit's end with this woman, and is like, why are you so the way you are? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, but it is a little, it did feel a little weird to me for some reason. And again, that might be 2018 eyes and ears. Absolutely, yeah. As opposed to, you know. Yeah. But when Nikki or Andy, uh, Nikki and Andy ran off the road, this is when we get it revealed that they have a tracker. Yeah. And it's an FBI tracker. Cause yeah. Because it very conveniently says that on the outside of the briefcase. Because it's all about subtlety with the FBI. Right, right. Well, I, you know, um, and, and going back to in the laundry van real quick, too, we get some nice moments where you get the idea that Peter was not very nice to her all mm-hmm. the time. And, you know, and Sam even apologizes for that, which is which is nice, the apology that he has. And I guess that the thing that's nice, the way that it's set up, is you, you get the idea that both of them are starting to kind of cool off a little bit. Mm-hmm. They're both going to, you know, they're, they're starting to kind of breathe a little bit easier. Everything's going to be okay. Um, and, and, and it's just sort of like, Hey, sorry, you know, sorry, sure. it's cool. We're good. Let's worry yeah. about getting to the cabin yeah. and stay and alive. This is also, we haven't seen because we kind of talking about Al's info dump earlier that we glossed over is that she's been in the witness protection program for a while now. And this is like the third, third fourth time third identity change that, that she's been, that she's been found. And so she has this nice moment, like every day she wakes up and wonders like, is this the day? Yeah. That that he is going to find me. Random tangent here, memory of another TV show. Did you ever watch Wings? Oh, yeah. 
did you see how Lowell was written off of the show? Oh, probably, but I don't remember it. Uh, Thomas Hayden Church, mm-hmm. he left the show because he got his own sitcom, Ned and Stacy, on Fox. This is one of my favorite ways of writing off a TV character ever. <laughs> he witnesses a mob murder yes. and has to go into the witness protection program. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. And so his final moment on the series is as he's had his tearful goodbye, he's saying goodbye to everyone, and it's just at this, because Lola's dense, it's just at this moment that he realizes he's never going to get to see these people again. Mm. And so he has this tearful goodbye, and he's walking out of the hangar, and he turns to the FBI people, and he goes, by the way, where are we going? <laughs> and they whisper in his ear, and he goes, loudly so that everyone can hear it, Hawaii! Cool! And he walks out, and the FBI agents look at each other and scratch a notepad off, like, well, not going to be Hawaii now. Yeah. Uh, I love that show. Man. I love Lowell on that show. Anyway. Yeah, I really liked that show a lot, too. It was, it was, it was, it was some solid stuff, without a doubt. Um, but anyway. Yes. So, so she's, is, is this going to be the day? that Right. And again, I do, I, I genuinely feel like Terry Austin does a good job of, of going through the different levels that the character has to be feeling. And, you know, we could, we could sure nitpick a little bit that, that like, it, it's a little hokey the way she enjoys throwing those bags out the, out the back of the car. Like, it doesn't feel like she's fighting for her life. It feels like she's having fun almost, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, but then of course she gets back in the car. She's, berating Sam. And so I, I don't know, but she does, she does, uh, I, I think a pretty nice job with, um, being on the edge in that way. And the script, I think lends her some favors in that respect as well. Sure. Give, giving her the opportunity to play different levels as opposed to just, you, you know, always being this, you know, frenzied on the edge. I'm going to die tomorrow sort of person. Uh, but also not just being a total shrew the entire time, but also not being, uh, you know, Overly nice and with no agency, and Sam has to save the day all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, in this scene, cool. she, yeah, she also has a nice line where she says, "I'm going to spend the rest of my life pretending to be somebody else." Mm-hmm. A little hat tip to Sam situation, and yeah, yeah. There's some uh, also great lines that we passed over that I jotted down back yeah, in yeah. the FBI office. Richardson says it could be worse. She could be short, fat, and ugly. Oh God! Uh, and also outside the the previously referenced scene. Uh, where we talked about, like, this is the, is the back of their cars, the windshield shot out, where Andy throws out the idea that maybe God is trying to tell us he doesn't want her to be hit. And Nikki's like, I want her hit. Yeah. Yeah, it, yeah I will say we don't, we don't necessarily get a lot of time with them, but it is interesting the way that uh, Andy is set up as kind of being like, this is a bad idea, let's just leave it alone. What's, you know, yeah, exactly. Maybe this is a sign. Um, but Nikki, of course, is, is possessed and, and will not be happy until it's until it's over. Mm-hmm. Um, so we get to the cabin mm-hmm. and uh, Professor Lenegro's cabin. Yeah, uh, I will say it, it, it should be noted because this is going to come back later. Uh, we do uh, where we're Dana and, and Sam, they do acknowledge how uh, how Peter has not been very kind to her in the past. And right. so Sam has the line for any and all past mistreatments, Mr. Peter Langley would like to say he's sorry. Right, right. That's, that was the apology that I was referencing. We yeah. also get this uh, moment, too, where uh, Dana says that, um, you know, one time in New Orleans, Orleans the, yeah. yeah, he said the thing, and, the, you know, and I wish things were different, too. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Of course. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. whatever. Like, yeah. But, you know, in, in stressful situations, totally. people come together. They Absolutely. Bond. Have we learned nothing from the movie Speed? I mean, exactly. That's what Sandra Bullock tells us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And this was five years before. So or at least four or five years before. Yeah, yeah. the end of the game. Trend setting. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, so yeah, they wish things were different. They almost have a makeout moment. And then... Which actually, now that they, I brought this up a couple of times recently, but in Twin Peaks, there's there's uh, Dale Cooper, before he gets to Twin Peaks, one of his jobs is to guard a witness for a mob case. And they end up falling in love too. And yeah. she ends up getting killed by the mob. And these are airing like roughly at the same time. Um, yeah. And so it's kind of funny to think that like... It's just a thing. That's just that's just that's it's what you do. you do. Yeah, you're on the run. If yeah. you're guarding somebody on the run in the mob, and they are of the opposite sex, or not for that matter, who knows? Mm. You're inevitably going to fall in love yeah. with each other. You got to do something, and it could end in tragedy. It could probably will. Yeah. Well, what do you do? Let's go on. Okay. So there's the cabin. <laughs> they are. And so we have this uh, comical moment where where Sam is going down memory lane, talking about it, and she says, "When was the last time you were here?" And he was like, "The summer of 1973." She's like, "Just a couple of months ago." Yeah, like, this, like the summer. <laughs> and then this is a, a tidbit I've I've always missed before. Uh, he says, "No, 1953." Yeah, August, the year of his birth. Yeah, the month of his birth. Yeah, yeah, yeah the month and, and the year of his birth. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, he does. He he finds the key. He remembers, and they they make their way into the cabin. And, and immediately, like not immediately, but but soon after, like she's like, "There's no electricity. You brought me to a place with no electricity. There's nothing here. There's a you know." And then Sam turns the light bulb on, and he's like, "See, light to shoot you by." Yes, <laughs> which is which is pretty great. Yeah, and like honestly, that to me, it it, it it does the same function that the to the moon line did. Ten times better. Yes. It's like, he's frustrated, he's making a joke out of it, it's great, it's mm-hmm. like, cool. Yeah. Absolutely. And this is the first time we see the matchbook with the phone number that you yeah. referenced earlier. And of course it's a 555 five, five number. Through his, yes. Yes. Through. He's going through his pockets to light the fire in the fireplace. Yeah. Um, he also finds a pack of smokes, mm-hmm. which uh, I think is great because he throws the cigarettes into the fireplace. And this is something that I said way back when, is it's like, Sam doesn't smoke. Sam yes. wouldn't smoke. Told you so. Yeah. Right there. <laughs> and we should say they almost uh, they almost kiss in, out, out there. They almost uh, kiss in the van. They almost kiss in the van. And then they almost kiss Again, on the out, steps. out there. And then she says, don't, let's not do this. Yeah. We'll get inside. That becomes important because Al shows up and Sam has a line like, how long have you been spying on us? And Al says, long enough to see your past fall short of the goal line. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Sam tries to defend it. It's like, I wasn't, you know, made a pass or whatever, but... But yeah, now he wants to. He needs more information. Al has a lot of nice stuff in this episode. You know, I, I feel like he he's there f- mostly just for information. Um, mm-hmm. But at the same time, he's uh, I don't know. He just he feels like Al. Sam feels like Sam. Mm-hmm. It, this, it just feels like an episode of Quantum Leap. Al's outfit is very much Al's outfit. <laughs> yes, I mean, it's it one of the yes, yes, yeah. It is. It's a very yeah. This outfit and the outfit he wears in next week's episode, Freedom, is yeah. yeah. Chopping on his cigar. Yeah. They yep. they are right they are right on. But now he shows up to reveal that now she is gonna die at four eighteen in the morning on a bridge near here. Yeah. And she's found some sardines. Right. Uh, or I don't know if it's sardines, she just says little hairy fish. She does. So that'd be anchovies, I think. They're a little hairy. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, um, I wouldn't eat them. I don't know. Actually, I, I love sardines and, and anchovies. I have a can of sardines every morning as part of my breakfast. Seriously? Yeah. All right. Yeah. I couldn't do it. Yeah. No way. 
Uh, <laughs> anyway, so uh, this is a line that, that jumped out at me because now knowing that, that she's going to die at 418, uh, Sam has the idea of, of, of going to split up or like he wants to go out and he wants to basically check the perimeter. He wants to see what's going on. Yes. And Dana throws out the line, this is how the girl always gets it in a horror movie. Yeah. And that jumped out at me because I don't know if in 1973 that horror movie trope had been established. That's a really good point. I because I feel been... like that really got established with, with Michael Myers and Halloween and Jason. Mm-hmm. And like, whereas it probably did happen in movies, like it didn't become the trope that she would throw out in a line like that yeah, in 1973. Point. That is a little anachronistic. Yeah. 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 Anyway. I didn't even think about it, but you're absolutely right. Yeah, but they yeah. get this. Uh, they they do get this idea to uh, to to go basically check my everything. I think they're they yeah. I think they're planning on getting out of there because the next yeah. shot, like they are they are planning on leaving. Yeah, because yeah. they, they're at the thing. Um, the the truck won't start. Then it does start. Sam gets out to check it. I love it, it, this moment where he opens up the hood like he's going to fix something. Yeah, and like and then he's just like, he's like uh, uh, yeah. I, yeah, I don't know how to do it's this. Like, what stuff. am I going to do with this? Yeah, and that's when Dana looks over, sees that the gas gauge is still at half half full. Right, hits it with her shoe. It goes down. Well, uh, you know, and and one of the I think the the other thing, the impetus behind them getting out there too, is the idea that Sam has basically divulged to her that he knows that. Andy and Nick are after them yeah. and know where they are mm-hmm. and, and, and you know basically everything that Al told him because the other thing that Al says is no matter what happens she dies yeah. and, and, and it doesn't change unless Nick is dead or Daniel is dead yeah. um, and, and so yeah so now they're out there yeah, the gas gauge goes down and she flips out because it's like I told you mm-hmm. you know but the gauge was broken Yeah, they're having more you know Rom-com, antagonistic yeah. banter. Bits, and uh, yeah, she ends up pushing him in the lake. I was like, anything to get Scott Bakula naked. Right, right, yes, yeah. exactly. Because the next shot, he comes Well, because in. she doesn't push him in the lake, she tosses the gun. And, that's and right. Sam is like, ah, oh, I might need this thing. Yeah, that's right, you know, that's So right. he does yeah. everything to save the gun, and then he falls in the lake. That's right, that's yeah. right, yeah. Um, and uh, so, yeah, still... Anything that gets got right, back in yes, the exactly. And the thing is, like, I made that comment when I was watching with Betsy, and we've talked about this on a previous episode. Betsy made the comment as we were watching it. Scott Bakula looks very normal. Like, he looks like an average guy. Yeah. Like, if this show were done in 2018, Scott Bakula would have to be ripped. Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe saying average is, is, is does him a little bit of a disservice. But yes, you're right. He does not look... By today's TV standards. Right. He looks average. Sure, 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 sure. Um, although I will say that I think that he looks, I can't believe we're talking about this, uh, for a number of reasons, but he looks even better in this episode shirtless than he does in how the test was won. Okay. Like there's just more definition in particular, like in his arms and his shoulders, I noticed. For sure. Those delts are, man, I'm just saying like, okay. Yeah. Anyway. But yeah. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Um, so there's that. There is that. There is that. Just now he's that. running around in a blanket. And now he's, yeah. You know, uh, I don't watch NCIS New Orleans, but I would venture to guess they still, not as often as they get Sam shirtless on the show, but I'm sure they still find ways to get Dwayne Pride shirtless on NCIS. I mean, yeah, he still looks like he's in great shape. Mm-hmm. Without a doubt. So, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. 
Although uh, I don't watch it either. There, there was a meme posted, and I can't. I think I shared this on the on the the Twitter account. Um, and and the joke is, is actually too long and convoluted. But like the the actual shot that they grabbed of Scott Bakula looked like it was an awards banquet or something. Somebody commented on it. When did Scott Bakula become Bill Nye the Science Guy? Uh, okay. You got a little bit, maybe sure. no, a little sure. bit. Of that look. Um, this is where uh, we were talking about this off mic when I first uh, got here today. Uh, there's a picture on the mantle of yeah. Professor Lenegro and young college Sam. Yeah, and they made absolutely no effort whatsoever. Yeah, to make Sam look younger, and at this point. Sam is 23 years older yeah. than he was in 1973, and they made no effort right. at all. No. No, but it's just, it's just Scott Bakula with a mop top. Like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and also, I mean, th- this was just a coincidence, him and Professor Lenegro standing together, they look very... Uh, it, it, it hearkened to me of, uh, of Sam and... Uh, I can't remember his name, and the little kid in the pilot episode, the fishing scene. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't think of his name yet. Yeah. And here, I, I, and I think the way this was done, because, and we've talked about this before in previous episodes, the producers of the show did not trust the viewer to look at a picture of Professor Lenegro and a younger man who kind of looked like Scott Bakula and did not trust the viewer to figure out that that is young Sam. Yeah. Especially, you know, and the thing is, too, the thing that's kind of funny about that is knowing where we're going with the season three premiere episode, for yeah. instance, we see a younger actor yeah. playing Sam. You know, so it's like, it's weird in that context for me anyway. It's yeah. weird to, to, to think, yeah, it's like, why? why? But yeah. again, that's just, and you know. also, had they chosen to use a younger Sam, there's another moment that could have been cooler later on in the episode. But we'll get there. Oh, totally. Yeah. Without a doubt. Yeah. Um, so, uh, at this point, they... Dana, they, wait, I want to say real quick, though. Dana sees the picture, too, and she takes a hold of it, and she looks at it, and she's, like, she's all over Sam in the picture. You know what? No, she's not. It's ambiguous. It is ambiguous. You're right. It is ambiguous. And that's setting up... You're right. That's setting up a later right. because, because, that, because that was my first... Because my first thought was, like, well, first off... Sam doesn't look any younger in that picture. Sure. But even still, she's kind of ogling a, a young college kid, which yeah. is weird if you take it to mean like, like she's looking at thing. But she's like, uh, she's, but she makes a comment like, he's got nice eyes. And Sam says, which one? And it's not, and it's not clear if she's talking about Sam or if she's talking about Professor. I'll be damned. Right. It's, yeah. I think, yeah, I think, I think probably just to rationalize for a second, in my mind, it's because. Sam's clearly talking about himself when he's looking at the picture, and and so when she picks it up, you just yeah, that's just where my mind went. Anyway, yeah, but yeah, so but anyway, so so yeah. yeah, so she has this moment where, and this is where like she's like, I'm gonna die. I've never been in love. Turns out she's been married before, uh, and Sam points that out, and she's like, well, Chris, that that wasn't love, uh, and then she's like, I, I want to love someone so much that. Something like that, the idea of living without them is unbearable. Yeah. And this is where... I want to breathe him. I want the cinnamon to make the, him smile. I want to look into his eyes and know that I'm alive. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it, there's one of those... It's just like one of the... It's like... Why did we need this subplot 
in the thing. Is it not enough that she's running for her life? Yeah, I, 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 yeah, it's 1990 television. Yeah, but your, lead, your lead your lead actor has to make out with a woman but, uh, you know, yeah. at least once every other episode or something. For sure. I don't yeah. Know. So anyway, uh, they start to make out. She she somehow she sees the matchbook. She sees the phone number. And, and bam! And bam! She she puts it she puts it together because mm-hmm. uh, it's Nikki's private number. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, gets the gun, gets it on him. And I was telling you this off mic uh, before. Yeah. Uh, I, I happened to pause the scene just as it was like an extreme close up of the gun because I was just taking some notes of, of things that had happened in the scene thus far, and I just happened to get an extreme close up, and I got uh, the serial number of the gun. And just curious, I looked it up online. Yeah, this was a, a government issue, Colt 45, uh, and it was manufactured in 1982. That's fascinating. Uh, so kudos for them. I mean, one, I mean, that's, uh, from what I was reading online, like, that's the actual uh, kind of service remote, Sorry, yeah. the, the service gun that that government agents use. Yeah. Um, and got something, you know, relatively... Yeah. Relatively close. Nine years, whatever. Yeah. I mean, that, that that particular firearm would have been in production, I'm pretty sure, since, like... I, I mean, it had been... I'm sure not. I, 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 I want to say it was probably World War II, but it might have even been before sure. then. yeah. So, I mean, clearly the, that, that particular one would have been around, but yeah. I'm sure um, I'm not much not much had changed, and kudos to the props department. Yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, and so this is when Al shows up. And yes. and and she, she makes him like comment like you take one more step and I shoot and that's when Al shows up and says not with the safety yeah, on yeah. I was like are you sure uh, this is what we another one of those moments it's kind of been peppered throughout that we haven't talked about Dana keeps catching Sam talking to himself yes this is like the third or the fourth time yeah. where it's happened because it happens at the FBI offices yeah. before she goes to the bathroom it happens when they first get to the cabin yeah um, and and yeah now it's happening again now and, so yeah. yeah so anyway so yeah. Al says, yeah, trust me, the safety's on. She tries to pull the trigger. Sure enough, safety's on. She throws the gun at him and and flees. And this is a really quick, fleeting moment, but I love it. This is one of the rare moments where something passes through Al or Al passes through something and we don't get that usual sound effect that we usually get. And the effect is so subtle. Like, usually, like... When something passes through Al, they beat you over the head with it, and they run completely yeah. through Al. But this one, like, she just kind of runs through, like, his arm, kind of, like, through half of him. Yeah. And there's, no, and there's no sound effect that comes along with it. And it's just, just like, a really nice, subtle... You know, and it's interesting. We get, in this episode, a couple of times in All-Americans, and in Freedom, the next episode that we talk about, we get quite a few moments... Where we see Al's hologram, you know, intangibility coming into play, and it's not—I mean, we've seen it before, obviously. Sure. But it, but I feel like it's been used a lot, and it makes me wonder. Like, it gets used a lot over the course of just those three episodes, and it makes me wonder: had the production team kind of like owned in on like, oh, this is exactly what we do. This is when we do it. This is how we do it. Like, you know, they'd made it. They'd streamlined the process, perhaps, so they sure. were using it a little bit more than they had been, because mm-hmm. it feels like that to me. There's one moment in Freedom, in particular, that I'm thinking about. I know we're going to talk about that next time, but, uh, where Al walks through a horse and it's really well done yeah. and the horse kind of looks after him, which is even better because it makes you go like the horse could totally see him. Yeah. The horse is probably like, what the hell's going on? Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, that is um, true. And it, yeah. And, uh, and this is a tangent. You've seen black Panther. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, uh, 
Like I mean, like the, the, with special effects, like where they've come now. Like, totally. like there's one moment towards the end. Uh, uh, I can't think of the actor's name. Which one? Uh, one the the the, the one of, or the, the the one of two white actors in the movie. Oh, Martin Freeman. Martin Freeman. Yeah. I wanted to say Martin Short, and I knew that wasn't right. <laughs> uh, Martin Freeman. There's yeah. a moment like where he walks. Through through a hologram thing, and he and he takes a seat to take, yeah, to take that final bow. Yeah. And the thing it was like, it just looks so seamless. And just yeah. like him walking through the thing, that it was like two minutes later. I was like, oh yeah, that was right. Yeah, I mean that was just like one of the very minor effects in the movie. Obviously, yeah, but yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I I had a friend of mine actually who complained about the the rhinos, and I was like, what are you talking about? The rhinos are great. Uh. Like as far as like the special effects were concerned, just or? everything about them. I dug it. Okay, I, I I dug everything. Yeah, I dug everything about the movie. Right. I didn't see. I, I I didn't necessarily see like special effects wise. I wasn't like, well, clearly that's CG. I mean, clearly it was CG, but I wasn't like sure. taken out of. It. You know, I don't know. Anyway, regardless, we're not talking about that. Absolutely. Uh, anyway, so yeah. So and then Dana takes off running, and we have this great moment between Sam and Al. And one of the reasons why I love this moment is because Sam is clearly piecing things together for himself, and yeah. then asks Al for the. Confirmation, and it's one of those few times where, and it, I say few times, but I do feel like it's actually happened a couple of times in this specific episode where Sam is one step ahead of Al, and mm. almost always it's the other way around. Yeah, and it, clearly he still needs Al to confirm sure. this for him. But Sam's like, "What happened the other two times when there was an attempt made on her life? Was Peter ever harmed?" And that's when Al is like, "No, no, you know, Peter was always fine. He always comes out fine in every scenario." And that's when Sam's like, "You know, it's me. I'm yeah. the one." Yeah. And and I think that the reveal is done, you know. Well, I, 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 again, I'm not saying that it's going to fool everybody. Yeah. Um, but I think that the writing and the directing does a well enough job of setting up Richardson as being the the, sure. the one that when it does come around and she does see the matchbook, that even then there's got to be an element because it's Sam too, sure. where you're just sort of like, that can't be right. There's got to be a rational explanation for that, Dana. Don't run yet. And it's mm. not really until Sam is the one that's just like, I'm the one. Yeah. When he works that out for himself, that I feel like the audience also all of a sudden, everyone has probably got to be like, oh shit. Mm-hmm. Which is cool. Yeah. So I appreciate that moment. Because this is the first, like, I don't, uh, I'm trying to think of a, a time where it comes later on in the series. I don't think there is a, a time that comes later on in the series where we find out that Sam is the bad guy. Not, I mean, there are definitely times where Sam is, uh, later on in the show, where he does kind of walk the line. Like, sure. the character that he's leapt into is an unsavory person. Sure. But, yeah, not like this. Yeah. Yeah, this is definitely the only time. One other thing that I want to say, though, that I, uh, that I think is indicative and is an important thing to address of the times is, is, is Sam's use of the word hysterical when referring to Dana. Mm-hmm. It's 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 interesting because it's the 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 origin of that word and that terminology mm-hmm. has has a very sexist connotation to it. Yes, and so for Sam to use it. And for Sam to use it in the mid-90s where he's coming from, when that word as a medical diagnosis was changed in 1980, because even then it was recognized that it's like, this is not so great. Because basically the idea was, is it was literally a word that was come up with because women, when, when having you know psychological issues, would be deemed to be hysterical because they thought that it emanated from the fact that they were women. And biologically speaking, and you know, just look at the word hysterectomy, for instance, and you, you'll figure it out. Uh, I'm no doctor, so I'm not going to go into too much of an explanation. But 
it, it always had this sort of sexist connotation to it, and I just I was I, I don't know I thought it was interesting that that's the word that that um, I think from previous things we've talked about and, yeah you know from from previous episodes where we've talked about uh, Sam's behavior with women sometimes I mean especially yes. I mean uh, this is not the first episode where where Sam uh, is antagonistic with a woman and it turns out that antag that antagonism plays into being physically attracted to her as, as well. Right, right. Maybe we acknowledge that Sam isn't so great with women. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that is true. I, I, and, and he is, yeah. Yeah. But while we're going off on this tangent, uh, this came to mind as I was watching this episode. So I looked it up. I don't know if you saw recently, I saw a few people share this on Facebook. Uh, recently an organization they announced uh, a prize. It was a, it was a contest called the Staunch Prize. I don't know if you've heard about this. No. Uh, it's a contest uh, put out to true crime writers um, or, or, or crime fiction writers, I should say, uh, to write a thriller novel where a woman is not stalked, beaten, abused, chased, mm. raped, or murdered. Because that is a trope. Yeah, I mean, and I get it, and I think I'm all for that. I will offer a counterpoint to that, though, and say that it it is for a reason, for a horrible reason. And when you think about how many times you know women specifically have been victimized by all of those crimes that you just mentioned, and continue to be uh, more so than than men when it comes to the nature of, of some of those crimes, you know, certainly the sexual nature of those crimes. Yeah, I think that. You know exactly. So yeah, yeah when, but the when, challenge is cool. Yeah, like yeah. let's challenge people sure. to write beyond that. Sure. What, what, uh, when I saw it on Facebook, everybody I, I, I saw sharing it or were, were celebrating it. They thought it was a good idea. Yeah. But I hadn't like caught the name of the contest, and so watching this episode, like I thought, oh, like what is that? And so uh, I looked it up. Yeah. And the first hit I got was actually an article arguing the thing that the very thing that you just said mm. that yeah, it's a great idea, but. It denies reality, yeah. and there's and there's a reason there's a reason why those stories are written, and the, and actually the the person writing the article made the argument like actually like that that's the least feminist thing that you can do is to just pretend that the problem doesn't happen, right? And uh, there was another uh, woman uh, crime writer within the article quoted. Uh, she first felt like slapped on the wrist at first like she had done something wrong for writing those kind of stories and then she was like but, but like no like I, I I write them like I acknowledge this happens but I try to write about it in an intelligent way yes. it doesn't do any good to just pretend that this stuff doesn't happen right right yeah, yeah. well you know and it's like it's, it'd be one thing it'd be one thing if we were talking about like I don't know what made me think of this but Perry Mason mm-hmm. you know and, and putting you know the woman on the stand and having to break down in tears or something like that like certainly let's go away from that trope mm-hmm. but but also if we're denying the reality or if we're, if we're trying to you know take attention away from the fact that those things really do happen that they're horrible things and we need to address them it's like is that is that what the focus should be on or should the focus maybe be on you know Let's give let's give other female characters or, or a diverse cast of characters an opportunity to solve these crimes as opposed to a middle aged white dude, which historically has been the case. Mm-hmm. You know, most most crime fiction stars, 
you know, middle-aged white dudes. That is true. Hey, I'm going to be one. I'm not saying hey. middle-aged white dudes are bad. Hey, hey, we're, we're, we're rocking the, the, the middle-aged white dudes podcast. Anyway. So, uh, yeah. Uh, that is interesting. Uh, so, yeah. Um, so she, she runs out. Yeah, confirms it run off. They run out. Al runs out. He, Nick and Andy are showing up. Um, Dana runs head on into them, into them, and Nick tries, does that sadistic thing too, where he's like, "Flip on the lights!" Like yeah. he wants her to see it coming. Yeah, he like fires the gun in front of her feet, then he shoots her in the arm. Okay, one thing, Uzis are not that accurate, so whatever. But but the other thing is, is it's like, God, this guy is really just a rat bastard. Like he's just like so, like he's at this point, Andy clearly is is is. I mean, has been right for a lot of reasons, but. I think Andy is frightened by who he's seen Nick become, mm-hmm. in a way. Which I think is an interesting take on that interaction between the two of them. I mean, I don't give a fuck about Nick, whatever. But, I'm just saying, it's sure. interesting to see how sadistic this guy is being, you know, because she gets shot, he shoots her in the arm. Yeah. Um, so she's wounded now, running off, Sam's trying to find her, mm-hmm. in only his pants and shoes. Yeah. He's got no socks on, no shirt. No socks, that's right, yeah. <laughs> so, so Sam gets her, like, backed up onto this cliff basically and this is where he knows he's leaped into a bad guy yeah she has no reason to trust him he starts talking to Al to like go you know see where Nick and Andy's at you know like buy it you know see, see where they're at basically yep. and again this is what you realize like he's not talking to himself he's talking to an imaginary imaginary friend yeah as she says and this is when like Sam drops the conceit as much as he can and say yes I can't explain this. I'm not the Peter you know. I'm someone else. Yes, I have an imaginary friend. He's going to see where Nick is. You have to trust me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, it's a really cool moment um, because he, you know, shy of saying, my name is Sam Beckett, I'm a time travel experiment, and that's why I'm here, he really does just let the whole facade go. And, and, you know, I think he knows at this point it's the only way that he's going to get her mm-hmm. to trust him, hopefully, uh, which she does. Um, and then, of course, when they come up, he's holding the gun on her mm-hmm. and tries to kind of let them know. And then Nick has some just disturbingly disgusting lines. Lines. Uh, the one line, uh, I've been doing half the women in Miami pretending they were you. Yeah. Like, that's that is... If you wanted to know what any sort of feminist society has wrong with men, like that line sums up so much shit. Yeah, right there. Yeah, it's like, oh my yeah. god. Well, the thing is, like, it's not bad enough that he's like. Yeah, I mean, if you want to make it even scary, I mean, like the way he says the line, it sounds weird because you think like he's been doing that since she ran off. But then the more he talks, you no, know, like. When she was working for him, he had put her up on a pedestal. That 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 in a, in a weird way, like she was too good to sleep with him. So like he was sleeping with everybody else, fantasizing about her. Yeah. And then it was like this weird, like I thought you were loyal to me, and then you weren't, and then you did this, and now. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, icky. And look, I'm not saying that having having an active. Imagination in a fantasy life is, is is a bad thing at all. I think that there are healthy ways and outlets to use that. Mm. Clearly, Nikki is not doing that. 
he's being icky. He's being icky, Nicky. Icky. Ah, there we go. <laughs> icky, Nicky. Uh, Good night, folks. It only took us three quarters of the way. Um, um, but, but then we get, uh, um, I think, yeah, a pivotal moment in the show. Yeah. Um, because, By the way, as we're doing this, to set up for this, like Al keeps saying, "Shoot him!" Like, yes, you have to shoot him. Like it, it's 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 you guys or Nikki. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, Al, there, there's there's no choice, right? And I think that you know it's an interesting contrast because we've touched on this a little bit before. I think if roles were reversed, and and this is, I'm not trying to say that Al's not a good person in any way or whatever, but I don't think Al would have nearly the issue over firing that gun as Sam is is seeming to have. Like, I think Al would be a little bit more proactive. Like, I think Al would literally... Like, Al would shoot first. Oh, I think so. Yeah. You know what I mean? Whereas I think Sam needs to take it right up to the limit of realizing there is absolutely no other way, and I have to do this. Oh, that's interesting. Because, you know, now, thinking about it, it it would have been interesting costuming-wise had they put Al in, in something... That reminded you more of his military background, yeah. so that yeah, you you could totally see like like no like Al Al is you know he, he's former military he's he's seen war right you know killing is not pleasant but sometimes you got to do it yeah shoot him yeah it's very it, it is it's a little bit more black and white for him you know yeah he's just like you have to do this um, and and you again know, love Al's outfit in this show but. Yeah. Yeah. Now, interrupted you. We're setting up right a moment. So yeah, and at this point, um, oh wait, I want to I want to address one other icky nicky thing. He after saying all this, doing all the women in Miami, and you know, always thinking of you. He actually has the gall to say to her, "All that time you were around, and I didn't touch you out of respect." It's like, yeah. what the fuck twisted kind of world yeah. are you living in? Yeah, like, and while I was doing that, what were you doing? Yeah. 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 Uh, anyway, so the moment has been built up. Al's saying, shoot him, shoot him, shoot him. And then it's clear that Nikki's going to fire that yeah. gun. Yeah, we're back to the slow motion sequence. The slow, yeah, exactly. And Sam doesn't just shoot Nikki. He unloads, like... Seven. Yeah. Seven shots. I counted a Colt forty five can hold up to eight rounds. So he just unloads seven shots right into Nick, and it is clear from where those shots hit and from the way that he goes down, it's like he's not getting back up. Yeah. So we have now seen Sam kill someone twice. Yes. Once in Honeymoon Express. Yeah. And now here in Her Charm. Mm-hmm. And as is said in Her Charm, don't worry, it gets easier. Honeymoon Express. Or, excuse me, Honeymoon yeah. Express, excuse me. Now we are seeing in her charm that it looks like it does because Sam does not look nearly as upset afterwards. No. There's a moment, there's a moment in his face where you can tell, like, the, there is this sort of moment of disappointment that seems to pass through him. Yeah. That he wished he wouldn't have had I to do it. I may be imagining, but I feel like, yes, yeah, Sam and Al, like, they exchange a look after after that. Yeah, but it, yeah. But, it's, but it is much more, he seems much cooler about it. Yeah. Yeah, and it will get called back I, 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 in freedom. Yeah, I'll go ahead and mention this right now because there's a moment where, you know, another character. They talk about acknowledging how many people you have killed. Yeah, how many people have died in war, and 
which brings up kind of this, I think, this element too of like Sam, Sam's journey through time and space as being something of a battlefield. And while it might not be, you know, certainly we don't want it to be a violent battlefield all the time. Sure. But he has a mission. He must accomplish these goals. He has to move, you know, and and so it is interesting in that that context, I guess. Um, So after this, Andy breaks down, and it's it's kind of an interesting moment because he's very upset mm-hmm. and he's very much like you know I told you not to do this I told you not to do this yeah. uh, Sam is actually at one point was holding the gun on Andy too but then he drops it down by his side um, it's a very brief moment yeah and, but yeah and then Andy's like he grabs he grabs Nikki's body and, and, and takes him away picks up and he's cradling him in his yeah. arms and it's it, it's interesting it's spot like, for the show to go there it, I mean what's interesting is that the character of Andy had to exist so that Nikki could bounce lines off of throughout the episode, so you saw Nikki's motivation. Sure. They could have gone the other way, and they could have made Andy a dumb goon. Right. Who didn't really have anything a whole a whole lot smart to say. Right. But instead, he's like this voice... He's like the good angel on, yeah. on Nikki's ear, like... He's the good mafioso. Yeah, yeah, he's the, yeah, he's the, he's the, he's the honorable mafioso. Uh, trying to talk some some sense into him, and also after this scene, he, he cleans up the mess. Like, yeah, there's yeah. police aren't called. Nope. All right, I guess they they, they, they are well, they, the authorities are on the way. Right, right. But but yeah, but he he he, he picks up uh, Nikki and he walks off. Yeah. Um, and then we get back to the cabin, uh, and. You know, Dana's recovering, uh, and gives. Oh, we didn't even mention this earlier. There's a moment where she she pulls out this chain that uh, was it her mother giving her. I don't Some family member. It might not have been a mother. It might have been an aunt or something. Uh, had given her this the scales of justice as a chain. That's right. And, and Dana had this dream of like going to school and becoming a lawyer and all this. Sort of That's stuff. right. She never yes, did those yes, things. Yeah. Um, so anyway, she wants to give the chain to Sam. Uh, and Sam has a thing about how, you know, he wishes he could take it with him, which yeah. is a nice moment. And Dana's confused. She's like, why can't you? Um, and Al says, you know, he's, he, that he's going to leave at any moment. And it's interesting because we, we talk about this a lot, but it's never really been addressed in the show. It's clear that Sam and Al are thinking about what's going to happen when Peter gets there. Yeah. And and so far for twenty plus episodes of the show, that has not really been a consideration. Double identity, double oh, right. identity. When he when he leaps right, into right, the right, dawn right. at the end of the episode, the whole reason why they announce yes. uh, uh, Teresa's and I can't think of the the leapy's name, the first leapy. I know name. you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they announce the engagement in front of the church to put Dawn the dawn into a position that he can't back out of. Right. When he leaps back in. Right. But yeah. So this but how yeah. about that? How yeah. about that? It's really only the second time, and it's a, it's a mob related episode. Yes. Mm. Mm. Anyway, but anyway, uh. so yeah, they, they they set it up so that when Peter comes back, he gives her the gun, tells her where the safety is, pointed at me, you're gonna have to hold this on me. They're not gonna be here for like egg ounces. Fifty six minutes. Yeah, is when the rest of them are gonna get there, um, and uh, he's like, just you know, she's like, you're crazy. Just humor me. Um, yeah. But the thing is, it's like, why do they think that's going to happen, now that I'm thinking about it? Because there have been plenty of episodes where Sam hangs out for days after the supposed resolution of the thing. And they're like, at the end of uh, So Help Me God, right. he was there to give her a reader. 
um, Honeymoon Express. He's there to help her get the answer the right thing, on the test. It's, it's and, like, yeah. so why why would Sam not stick around for another 56 minutes until the authorities show up? Knowing that she's really safe, yeah. Yeah, I have an I, answer, though. I, yes. Yeah, yeah. So, so, but right before we get there, though, I will say that um, there's this nice moment where he's like, you know, they're going to make sure I get what I deserve, and Dan's like, you deserve a medal. And, and, and it's, it's, it's interesting, I think, because... Um, she's seeing him in a whole new light, obviously, because she sees him as the one that saved her. Of course, we know that Peter was actually in on the whole thing to begin with. Al's like, he's going to get eight to ten years, but then he says that Dana actually testified on his behalf to keep him from getting, like, 25 years in uh-huh. prison, which is interesting. Dana goes on to school, she becomes a lawyer, Yeah. Blah, blah, Here's blah. the thing. Peter doesn't deserve that. No, I know he doesn't. He doesn't deserve that. Of course he doesn't. I agree with you. Now that I'm thinking about it, like I, I really wish afterwards, like Dana was like, like, like no, like you saved me now, but you've been in cahoots with him this entire time. Hell yes, I'm putting a gun on you. Yeah, yeah. No. Anyway, I, I get it. Wait, I, wait, one quick question though: Have they already made out? Oh yeah, this is the point they start making out. Okay. Uh, and this is when when Al is reading off all the information, right? And, and then he's and like, "There's gonna, they're gonna, she's gonna be a part of a law firm, yeah." That that starts off Elroy, uh, Elroy, Elroy, and Elroy, and Elroy. Then it becomes Elroy, Elroy, and the Negro, Negro. That's weird. She marries Professor Lenegro, and that's when the professor walks in. I realized, like, when I saw the professor walk in in my in my head canon, I always picture creepy Bob Ross from So Help Me God. <laughs> That's who I like. Even like seeing his picture on the mantle earlier, I was waiting for that guy to walk in. Yeah. Uh, and then, but no, Professor Lenegro walks in. Professor Lenegro. Uh, and this in. is where I'm talking about earlier. Have they trusted the viewers more and shown a younger Sam? Yeah. How cool would it have been for not just Professor Lenegro to walk in, but Lenegro and young Sam to walk in at the end of the episode? Yeah. It, you know, it's interesting too because it's like. There's a part of me that I'm like, man, that would be cool. But then there's a part of me that's like, oh, would that be gilding the lily a little bit? You know, like, is it would have been necessary? Like, even the idea of Sam being there, like, even if Professor Lenegro would have turned around and be like, oh, I'll be right there, Sam, or something like that. It's like, is that too much? Is that? I don't know. I get where you're coming from. I'm just saying, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But as it is, just Professor Lenegro walks in. And he jumps up. Sam immediately jumps up. And he's like, Professor Lenegro, it works. We were right. And Lenegro's like, what are you talking about? What are you people doing in my place? And that's, a court, you know, we know at this point that she's going to get together with him, and that's when Sam leaps out. Yeah. And Sam leaps out, and he gets hit in the face. Yes. <laughs> How many times does Sam leap out and get hit in the face? face. Like, he's happened at least three times so right far, right? Face. It's easy <laughs> drama. So, like, like, what happens when Peter leaps back in? Mid-sentence, I'm Sam back. Yeah. I would imagine he falls over. Because he's kind of walking... Uh, yeah, so yeah, you I would love you know, and then he just falls down on the ground. Yeah, and yeah, it is interesting. It's like, goddamn, what what is going to happen? Because Peter's going to be so completely disoriented. Sure, not understand where they are, not know that Nick's dead unless he's been told. That's the other thing too. Is it's like, you know, we because Al is there. Has Al been into the waiting room and? told Peter what's going on at all? Would Al even want to go in there after he found out that Peter was the, the inside man? Yeah. You know, it's... I guess what we have to take on faith is that what is what the, the essentials of what will happen is that Peter will get there, probably not know what the hell's going on, 
Dana's got the gun. The FBI comes, scoops him up. Professor Lenegro makes her some tea because he's got groceries. Makes her some sure. dinner. Happily ever after. Yeah. He's got the eyes that she can, you know, see forever in. If Professor Lenegro and Sam are so close, totally. At some point, young Sam is going to meet Dana. Now, now, yeah. yeah. That's interesting. It is. Yeah, there was a novelization of this uh, of this story. They could yeah have some fun with that. He'd be at the wedding. He probably yeah. He'd totally be at the wedding. He probably would have. They been. came up with the the string theory for Quantum Leap. Oh yeah, like, you know, it's absolutely. Like, they spent weekends at his cabin together. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. There's a lot to unpack in that. For sure. I mean, and that, and you think about he's spending all this time with Professor Lenegro, and from what we find out in later episodes, this is right around the time that Sam's dad dies, and we find out in the last season. Uh, episode that Sam didn't go home from the funeral because he was too wrapped up in his own shit. And yeah. He has this other father figure in his life. There's a lot to because his dad would die the very next year, 1974. It was either 74 or 75. It would have been it would have been late 74, early 75. Uh, I, I feel like we'll we'll get there. There's a, yeah, because Sam's 21. Yeah, so he's 21. He turns 21 in August of 74. So yeah, yeah. But there's a lot to yeah. Right, unpack there. So he's in he's in a holding cell. He's getting beat up by the sheriff. They throw him into the jail cell. Mm-hmm. There's a Native American man sitting on the other bed. Yeah. Sam goes to wash his bloody face off. Looks in the mirror. Oh boy, I'm an Indian. I'm an Indian. Yeah. Could be worse. Could be a white a man. End of the episode. Boom. That's our that's our intro into freedom. Yeah. Which, Which I'll go ahead and say right now, we both really enjoyed. So we did. Yeah. <laughs> we did. Uh, her charm, her charm. Uh, you know, it's interesting because when we talked about All Americans, for instance, and I said that thing about how talking about it had actually made me enjoy the episode more, mm-hmm. I feel like talking about this one... Oh, when I watched it last night, I was just I was just in it. Like, I was just like, I was like, oh, that's good. But now talking about it a little bit, it's just sort of like, man, there are some issues with this episode... And I feel like I don't know where I fall. I'm, I, I'm, I think one of the things that Matt mentions actually in his book, uh, it's a really great point, is that generally when a, any, you know, any screenplay or teleplay has you know, this many fingers on the writing of it, they generally aren't going to be that great. This happens to not be the case. I do feel like the script is good. I feel like for the most part the episode really works well. But it, it, goes, it just goes a lot of interesting places. And um, I don't know. I like it. I like it. I think it's a good episode. I think in some ways her charm feels more like a return to form. And I think that continues with freedom because I feel like we've had a few episodes that have just been a little like, eh, okay. You know. Yeah. So yeah, that's 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 what I'll say. Yeah. But yeah. But then after that we get into freedom. Good night, dear heart. And I think Pull Hall Blues after that. Yeah. Or, or along that line. This is where we get into... Uh, a stretch of episodes that I really enjoyed because like yeah. when I was a kid like this is the stretch where I actually discovered the show and these were the first episodes that I, I watched yeah I feel like you know and I guess now that I'm looking at, at this run of episodes I really feel like other than All Americans which again is not terrible and A Portrait for Troyan, which is um, <laughs> I feel like I, I, I feel like honestly the second season has been really strong 
You know, Honeymoon Express, great episode. Disco Inferno, really good episode, even given mm. its premise. Americanization of Mexico, one of the worst episodes ever. Uh, what, price, what Price Gloria, not terrible. Uh, Blind Faith, good fun. Good Morning Peoria, iconic episode, great episode. Thou Shalt Not, damn good episode, great episode even. Uh, Jimmy, great episode. So Help Me God, great episode. Catch a Falling Star, problematic, but still a good episode. Portrait of a Trojan, kind of shit. Animal Frat. <laughs> Animal Frat is good. Another Mother is good. All Americans, eh. But Her Charm, good. Freedom, good. Like, I mean, the second season is really strong. Yes. Is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. In that, you know, mm-hmm. ejaculation. I just yes. wish we used that word more often, not in a sexual not, context. Not in the context. You know, uh, like, it's like sometimes reading, like, Sherlock Holmes. Sure. You know, like, Watson will use that word. Like, you know, he ejaculated his response. And it's just sort of like, man... Why did that word have to go out of favor? Uh, I mean, if, if that's something you want to try to take back, Sam. <laughs> I don't think it's go, happening. Uh, <laughs> go right ahead. Go right ahead and do that. It's not happening. Yeah. So anyway, there you have it. Um, the mother, yeah, uh, perfectly good episode. Like, if yeah. I was trying to get someone hooked on the show, is this the episode that I would introduce them to? Probably, no. probably not. Right. But I certainly think that if, you know, sometimes these, uh, if you go on the internet, everybody wants, like, a fast track. You know, like, uh, what's my fast track to DS9? What's my fast track for Voyager? Like, what are the essential episodes that I have to watch just to get through it or whatever? Uh, and, you know, you get varying responses. Some people are like, watch the whole thing. You know, just watch every sure. episode. And some people are like, don't watch this. It's a terrible episode. Oh, but you have to watch that one because it tells you this bit about that or whatever. If I was giving people the essentials of Quantum Leap, I would probably throw this episode in because of the Professor Lenegro stuff and because it's not a bad episode. When I say essentials, I don't mean, like, here are the top ten episodes. Sure, no, I got you, yeah. I'm just Uh, saying that, like, if I'm going to give them, you know, like, these are your, this is going to tell you the story of Quantum Leap. I might throw it in. I might throw it in. Sure. I don't think, personally, like, the Professor Lenegro connection is very strong. Sure. I don't know. You think it's just kind of like a random bit of, like, mythology? Yeah, it's just like a random bit of information. Like, they don't really... They don't even talk about it much other than, hey, this is where we came up with Quantum Leap. Right. And you, you, you see him for a little bit at the end. And yet, I would argue, though, that it does form an essential part of the episode. Like, if they don't... Like, if he doesn't have that memory... They don't have the cabin to go. Oh, for through. sure, for sure. Yeah, you know. So I, I don't know. It, and, and knowing that Donald P. Belisario and Deborah Pratt wrote the episode, mm-hmm. the teleplay for the episode, it does kind of make sense that they would throw something like that in. Mm-hmm. But I see where you're coming from. Yeah, I get it. Anyway, all right. Her charm. Her charm. That's it. Good enough. Yeah. Enjoy. <laughs> Good enough. <laughs> and we will see you next week for Freedom. Indeed. Let's we'll we'll Scotty. All, all right. right. Take, take care. care. Bye bye. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed what you've heard or have any questions or comments, don't be shy. Reach out to us online at fwwquantumleappod.com or Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Fates Wide Wheel. And remember to hit the subscribe button and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you may be listening. Until next time.
can see, you'll never know. How can we 